Good morning, Grace Bible Church. I have enjoyed ministry with your kids, your teenagers, your junior high kids, and a lot of the volunteers that serve in youth ministry. And now I have the privilege of working with people my age or older. I'll let you decide which you are. A man and his wife had a particularly hard day of work one day. They decided to come home and relax, so they walked out onto their deck and they both sipped a glass of wine. When in the stillness and the quiet and the peace, the woman said, I love you and I don't think I could ever live without you. To which the husband said, is that you or the wine talking? <laughs> to which the wife replied, it's me and I'm talking to the wine. I love that story because that woman was passionate about her wine. Now, I'm a total abstainer for the record, but I'm here to tell you, I love that question. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Something I want you to talk about at lunch today amongst your family is what are we passionate about? What is it that we can't live without? Now, because we're in church this morning, you're tempted to lie. That's what I said. You're tempted to lie because you know the Sunday school answers, don't you? What are you passionate about? God, Jesus, the Bible. But really, are you? Does your life show that or is that just your lips? Is that just a Sunday school answer? Because you're in church and you don't want to lie. Well, how can you tell what you're really passionate about? The three C's. And these are all in your little notes there, by the way. The three C's tell us the truth about what we're passionate about, regardless of what we say we're passionate about. The first C would be your conversations. Your conversations. Now, my wife and I, as you saw this picture right here, we got a lot of kids. All of my kids are kind of crazy. They take after their mother. And... Um, we do a lot of management in our household. How many of you have kids? You know to get them from point A to point B, and then when they actually start to drive, it doesn't matter. You still have to manage things. And so much of our conversations in life are about managing who goes where and how we're going to make sure we're, you know, everything's good. We've got enough food. Everything's cared for, right? I'm not talking about those kinds of conversations. I'm talking about the sit on the porch kinds of conversations. I'm talking about where you actually get to talk about what you really like to talk about. And when you get a chance to do that, my question to you is, what do you talk about? I love good coffee. I love Gibson Les Paul guitars and Marshall amps. And I love motorcycles that go fast. But I would hope in our conversations amidst all those things, something about God would come up too. How about you? What, does, what do your conversations say about you? The second C is your checkbook. You're like, holy cow, Allison, you've been here for five minutes, you're talking about money, right? Your checkbook, your credit card, your cash, whatever that C is for you. You show me what you spend money on, and I'll show you what you love. I'll show you what you're passionate about. 
Now, again, we all have stuff, right? We got car payments, we got, um, you know, mortgages, we got to pay the electric bill. I understand all that stuff. But that little thin group, maybe we don't have a very thin group. Maybe you just use your credit card for the stuff you want to do. When you want to spend something for you or for somebody you love, what do you get? What does your credit card, what does your cash, what does your checkbook say about your passion? And the last one, I think this is the, this is, all three of these together are powerful, but I'm going to say the last one is really the one of the 21st century, and it's called the calendar. Whatever gets into your calendar tells me what you really think is a priority. You can say God is important to you, but if he's not in your calendar, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, if he doesn't make it into your life, into your time, then I don't know what else you would be able to say about your passion. You take those three C's, you wrap them up together, and honestly, we can get a pretty good picture of what somebody is passionate about. So I want you to talk about, as a family today, when you go to eat, when you're at home, whatever you're doing, but today, I want you to say, what do the three C's say about what we're passionate about? What do they indicate about what we think are priorities in our lives? And don't be afraid to be brutally honest. The beauty of, you know, you can go to your small group and lie like crazy. Right? But your family lives with you. Right? Your family lives with you. They're going to tell you what they think. And listen, you got some teenagers, they're going to pile on. They're just going to do it, and that's what they do best. So I want to encourage to have this healthy discussion. Don't you say, well, don't you say that to me. And, you know, that's, that's how my situation works. You can see i got some older kids, right? They're not afraid to tell me. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. I want to challenge you. What do the three C's say that you're passionate about? But, you know, just take a step back from that discussion for a moment. Maybe, maybe that's not a great question. It's a good question, but it's not a great question. Because if I understand what the Bible says about those who claim to follow Jesus... The issue isn't what we're passionate about. Maybe the issue is what does God want us to be passionate about? Let's just pause, think about that for a moment. The issue isn't what, what jazzes you, what jazzes me. The issue is what does God want us to be passionate about? Friends, listen, I believe this because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, listen to this, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. What price? The precious blood of Jesus Christ paid for you and your sins and mine. Then Paul says this. Let's logic, he says. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, he says, glorify God in your body. In other words, it's not about what you're passionate about. It's about what God wants us to be passionate about. And here's the good news. God has not left us wondering what he wants us to be passionate about. Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. That'd be Matthew, Mark, that one, all right? Matthew, Mark. Mark, chapter 12. 
In chapter 12, listen, friends, in chapter 12, it is a series of debates. There are people so mad at Jesus. This is the last week of Jesus' life, Mark chapter 12, and they are so mad at him, they want to kill him. Who's they? Religious people. Beware of religious people. They want to kill Jesus. They're trying to trick him to say something religiously wrong so they can crucify him. They're trying to get him to say something bad about the current government. They're trying to get him to say all kinds of crazy stuff. And listen, Jesus takes it on. He debates them. Oh, my goodness, a word to the wise. Never get into a theological debate with Jesus. He's a theological ninja, and he will cut you off at the knees, and that's exactly what you see in Mark chapter 12. The Sadducees take a shot. All these people take a shot at Jesus, and then look what it says in 1228. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. He was debating. By the way, we got to get back to debating. You know how things work on social media. Yeah, I believe this. Well, you're an idiot. You're stupid. Hey, that's not a debate. That's ridiculousness. That's got to stop. We need to learn to debate, and that's the refutation of ideas. Notice that they were debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, the first group, the Sadducees. He's, this guy asked this, of all the commands, which one is the most important? Now look, at that's my Old Testament right there. See how thick that Old Testament is? In Jesus' day, the Jews had codified the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they counted all the commands in those first five books, and they came to the number 613 things. I am not going to give you a 613-point message today, but their, one of their favorite debates was, out of all 613 commands that God wants us to obey, which one is the most important? I love this question. You know why? I can't do 613 things. I'm a man. <laughs> Women, they can do 613 things. I've seen them do it, man. You guys are good. This is a man question, isn't it? Which one? I can't, I'm like, mm, I can't figure out which one. This one. Point me in the right direction. My wife explained to me one day. She said, I figured out why men can't think of a lot of things all at once. And women can. I said, well, what's the deal? And she said, I was listening to this expert on talk radio, Christian radio. And she said, um, it was this expert about how God forms a child in the mother's womb. And when God makes that child a male child, what happens is there's this shot of, do you guys know this? The shot of testosterone goes into the brain and kills the brain cells. <laughs> My wife said, by definition, every man is brain damaged. That's what she told me. I said, well, thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate that. But you get the idea here, right? This is a man asking a question. I love this question. Just show me the bullseye, Jesus. Which is the most important command? And look what he says, verse 29. Jesus says, the most important one is this. Shema Israel Adonai Elhenu Adonai Akkad. Which is Hebrew for, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is the one and only. And immediately 
Every person within the sound of Jesus' voice recognized this as an Old Testament passage. Can you look in your Bible for a moment? If you have Bibles, how many of you have Bibles? How many of you are using your phone? Took 2,000 years, but we're back to scrolling through Scripture, aren't we? It's amazing. Where's, that, where's Jesus quoting from? Does anybody know? Look in your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a part of a thing called the Shema. I'm going to teach it to you. Shema. Say Shema. It's the Hebrew word for hear. It's the first word in the phrase. Shema, Israel. Adonai Elheinu, Adonai Kad. It means hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It means to hear and obey. Shema. Say it. Shema. You're speaking. Wow, you are totally bilingual now. I mean, you're trilingual now, aren't you? Huh? Think with me for a minute. Hebrew, right? Shema. And they, it was a series of three Old Testament passages beginning with Deuteronomy chapter 6 that Jewish people recited every day, twice a day. So this is, this is, you got this very heated debate going on, right? And it's the most sophisticated, educated people. Hmm, Jesus, which commandment is the most? It'd be like saying, which song is the most important song ever written? And I said to you, Jesus loves me, this I know. Isn't that? That's kind of what he's doing here. He's like saying, you silly folks, it's right there in front of your eyes. You recite it twice a day. You guys got to wake up a little bit, he says. He says, look, and what does it mean? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And every Jewish person would have said, that is correct. You know what they debated over? The second greatest command. They all agreed on the first one. They said, yes, loving God with everything you have, that's the thing that God wants us to be passionate about in our families and in our life. So Jesus says this. The second is this. You know why? Because he knows they want the second one. And he's doing something crazy here. Jesus is doing something like this. It's called stringing pearls. Rabbis did this in Jesus' day. They take a test. They take, you ask a question. He answers with a passage of Scripture, and you think you understand it. Oh, love God with everything I have, heart, mind, soul. Cool, Jesus, I'm tracking with you. Then Jesus goes, no, you're not. Because the second is this, and he reaches over to Leviticus 19.18. Look what it says. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Listen, the Jews in Jesus' day, if they said, What's the most important? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. They would have said, of course I do. I never miss the synagogue. I always celebrate the Passover. I always do the Shema. I say my Amidah prayers. I always, always follow the law. And Jesus says, excuse me, whoopee-doo. You want to know what it means to love God? It's not all that religiosity. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he reaches over and he grabs Leviticus because now Leviticus 19.18 is the explanation of Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you really love God, you do what? You love people. <laughs> How many of you love God this morning? How many of you have a little harder time with people? How many have somebody in their life that's driving them nuts? How many of you are sitting next to that person right now? Or going home with that person. Friends, Jesus tells us very, very clearly 
what he wants us to be passionate about. He says there is no commandment greater than these. Listen to me. You think it's about going to church and going through religious motion and tithing and service, and I love all those things. But Jesus says the heart of it comes out of a heart that loves God with everything you have. And that overflows. You get loved by God. And then you overflow that to people. You love your neighbor. Oh, my goodness, I can love people I don't know very well. But my family, my neighbor, not so much all the time. Right? So Jesus says he couldn't be more clear about this. What does it mean? Listen to me now. Where does disciple-making start? It has to start in the home. And where do we begin? Loving God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. And loving our neighbors as ourselves. There is, this is what it says, look what it says there at the very end. There is no commandment greater than these. Out of all 613, you can fight till the cows come home. But I'm telling you right now, these are the two. You get these right, you're going to be okay. You miss these, you miss Christianity. I'm going to say it again. You get these right, you're going to be okay. You you miss them, you're in trouble. Because you're going to become like a weird religious person. Because it's really about following God and loving God. So here's my next question for you, all right? God couldn't be more clear about what he wants us to be passionate about. What is it? Love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Oh, let's do this. I got. Would you mind doing something crazy today? I didn't come here to do what you regularly do. I came here to be crazy. Stand up, will you? I'm going to teach you. If you're able to stand, please stand. Get your hands free. I'm going to teach. The students should know this from several years ago. I'm going to teach you the Shema hand motions that I learned from the Qumran caves. In his, no, I made these up. Uh, they, were, they were etched on the caves. No, no, I can't. Go like this. I'm going to teach you this. And I want you to teach this to your grandkids and your kids. I mean it. This is the most important thing. Say love. 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 Say it with me. Love. Capital T. The. See that? That's the. By the way, none of these are endorsed by the American Sign Language Association. <laughs> love. love. The. Lord. Does that look like an L to you? Does that look like an L? Now your L has to come over here, people. Bring your, there, bring your L over there. Now it looks like an L to me. Sir, you need to bring, there you go. Excellent. I was worried about you, but we got it. All right, here we go. Ready? Love the Lord your with, with all, do you see the double? With all and with so, some of you will get that later. And it's the sole of your shoe. And with all your mind. And with all your Nice. Okay, let's try it from the beginning. Wait, let's not celebrate, sir. I'm in no hurry right now. I mean. There's two of them. We got to do two of these. All right, here we go. Try from the beginning. Here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your Good. And with all your soul. And with all your mind. And with 
Awesome, wait. Love your neighbor. Oh, yeah. Just gently on someone's hands. Just reach out gently on someone's hand. All right. Try it again. Love your neighbor. Do you feel the energy go up when we touch each other? You guys like, love your neighbor. It's awesome. Except if you don't like to be touched and you might be sitting next to somebody. I hear, love your neighbor. Capital A as yourself. Second one again. Love You think we can put it together? Yes. Somebody's going to ask you, hey, what'd you learn at church today and what do I want you to do? I want you to show them, all right? Here we go. Ready from the beginning. What's the mo- what does God want us to be passionate about? This. Love. High fives all around. Sit down. Good job. Yeah. High fives. Sit down. Holy cow. If you're a guest, I promise you that doesn't get crazy like this. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. But I just want to make sure you come back because you're like, I'm not going to the hand motions church. No, 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 no. That was weird. Here's my question to you. I mean, God couldn't be any more clear about what we, he wants us to be passionate about. But the question is this. What would ever make us want to love God? Boom. Right? If I understand the Bible right, I want you to think about this. If I understand the Bible right, we're not born naturally loving God. Who are we born naturally loving? Me and you, right? We think of us. I got seven kids. If I bring home six candy bars, it ain't going to be pretty. Do you know what I'm saying? Because nobody's going to say, oh, I don't need one this time. You have it. Why? Because they all have their mother's sin nature. And their fathers, which is a toxic dose, let me tell you. I know her and I know me, right? It's a toxic dose. And we did this to all of our kids. Oh, your kids are beautiful, but they are broken. And they want their way. We love us way more than we would ever love God. So what would ever make us want to love God? 1 John 4.19. Are you ready? I'll read it to you, but I think you'll be able to quote it with me. What would ever make us want to love God? 1 John 4.19. We love because what? He first loved us. Or you can say God first loved us. We love because he first loved us. It's exactly right. Listen, you know what God did? God looked down and he said, I'm going to take the first step toward you. I know you don't love me. You love you. But I'm going, let me say it this way. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, now quit smoking and drinking and chewing and doing all the crazy stuff you do and then I might let you in. He said, you are a broken sinner and all about yourself. You worship you. And I love you, and I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for you and shed his blood and to be raised from the dead for you. 
you didn't do anything. He did it all. But somewhere along the line, you heard about it. And your heart, by God's grace, received that idea. And then you believed. For the first time in our lives, we can quit thinking about ourselves. Because we have something way bigger to think about. God Almighty, his gospel, his love. We are able to love God and others because he first loved us. So here's my question. I'm in a series of questions, and I want you to note these. They're in your little notes because I want you to have these discussions in your family today. We love because he first loved us. And that love was best expressed in what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. Listen. Where would you be right now if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's amazing love that you heard and responded to? Where would you be right now? It's not an edifying thought for me. I come from a wild crew. I, can, I go to my family reunion, I can hug more felons in one day. Some of you have never hugged a felon. I'm telling you, I can hug more felons in one day. And I, that's not a joke. That's serious. So when I think about my trajectory, where would I be if I wasn't rudely interrupted by Jesus? Wouldn't be in Laredo, Texas, hanging out with a bunch of people who are trying to follow Jesus. I'd probably be dead or in jail, certainly not married successfully. Not the dad I would hope I would want to be, but I'm not sure if I'm thinking of Mia, who cares? But I got, I got to tell you something. On my way to self-destruction, I was rudely interrupted by the grace of Jesus Christ. And I've never gotten over it. And let me tell you the story, a small piece of it. Put that picture up for me, will you? These ladies, oh my goodness, I love these ladies. Uh, on my left, that's by the way, they go to a small church that requires a tie. <laughs> I'm not wearing no tie unless they require me to. All right. So I was speaking at my mom's church. My mom's to my left, and this is her friend Jerry. Let me tell you how the gospel came to our lives briefly. My mom and Jerry were both divorced, single moms, party animals, and they worked as bartenders in the slimiest bar we had in our little town. And they did it all. Jerry had worked there long enough to get a vacation, but she didn't have any money to go anywhere, and she had a bunch of kids. And so she called her sister, who lived out of state. She said, I've got a vacation. I'd like to get my kids out of this town, and I wondered if we can come visit. And her sister said, that's great. I would love to have you and your family come. Something wonderful has happened in my life, and I was hoping to tell you about it. Jerry got there, and all Jerry's sister could do was talk about how much Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection had changed her life. Jerry said, I'm stuck here with my kids for two weeks, and this sister of mine, I can't even recognize her because she's so different, all she can do is talk about Jesus. By the end of the first week, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior, and the next week, she got her in, uh, Jerry's sister got her into the Bible. When Jerry's two weeks were up, the first place she went to after she dropped her kids off at home 
was to the tavern where my mother was working. They were all glad to see her. But Jerry announced to everybody, I quit. They said, what'd you do, go away and find a job somewhere? And she said, no, I don't have a job anywhere. Well, why you quit? And she said, because everything I tried to find peace of mind in, everything I thought my life should revolve around, men, drinking, partying, money, all these things. She said, all of it left me empty. I finally found it. And they said, what'd you find? And she said, it was a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they said, are you drunk already? And she said, no, and I quit. And the boss said, you can't quit. You got to give us two weeks notice. Jerry said, fine, I'll give you two weeks notice. But Every time somebody asks me why I'm leaving here, I'm telling them about Jesus. For the next two weeks, that tavern became a ministry center run by the Reverend Jerry. (laughs) And my mom's best friend now became her hated enemy. She could not stand her. You know why? Men and women love darkness rather than light. That's what the book says. My mom was about herself. So was Jerry till she met Jesus. My mom was so glad when those two weeks were over because my mom said, I don't have to worry about her anymore. She'll be done. Guess what? That wasn't the end. That was the beginning of what? Jerry coming over to our apartment in the projects where I was raised. Jerry pulled in. My mom cussed. She said, oh, my goodness, that preacher has come here to preach to us. And she pulled the shades, and we locked the doors, and she told my sister to be very quiet. We just were real quiet. We were laughing like crazy because she knocked on the door, and we were little, and we thought that was funny. You don't answer the door when somebody's knocking. (laughs) Over the last 38 years, I've been on a lot of pastoral calls to people's homes, and I need to tell you all something. We know you're in there. And I think Jerry knew we were in there. She left in that car. My mom said, that's great. I don't have to deal with her anymore. Every two or three days, this is the gospel truth, Jerry would pull in, my mom would cuss, we'd pull the shades, we'd lock the doors. She kept coming every two or three days. Every two, about two or three weeks go by, this this woman will not take a hint. You know what happened? One day, she got to our door before we could close it. And my mother said, quote, let's let her in, hear what she has to say. She obviously wants to talk to us. Let's hear what she has to say, and let's ask her to never come back. So Jerry comes in. She's carrying this black book. I know now to be a Bible. She walks in. She hugs my mom. My mom's faking it. Hi, Jerry. How are you? They sit down. Jerry's only been a Christian three, four weeks. They sit down at that table. That Bible goes open. Oh, my goodness, you want to know where I got my talking from? These women. They can go to town. They start talking, and that Bible goes open, and they're drinking coffee. How real can I keep it with you, Laredo? Can I keep it real? My mom's smoking. Jerry, the smoking evangelist, is smoking. And out comes the gospel. She says to my mom, you know God loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. My mom says, first time she's engaged this thought, she says, you know how bad I've been. My mom was here right now. She would tell you that she's broken every one of the Ten Commandments except thou shalt not kill. And there were times in my adolescence I thought she was going to kill me. She said, can God forgive somebody like me? And she said, 
Porky, because that's my mom's nickname. Porky, God loves to forgive people like us, and that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for broken people like us. And my mom said she believed it. At that moment, she said, that's for me. My mother, oh my goodness. You talk about someone who loves Jesus. You know why? Because God first loved her. She didn't work that love up on her own. She couldn't. But when God forgave her, oh my goodness. And she's still nuts. I mean, my family's always been crazy, but it's been about sin. She just transferred all that craziness over to Jesus. She lives in a, 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 a place for poor people. I don't know how else to say this. It's, she doesn't have an income, and she's in this little place that we go visit her, and she doesn't want to live with us, and she's so stubborn, right? And so I call her all the time. I called her not long ago. She's 75. I called her. Hey, Mom, it's your son, Bill. What you doing? Can't talk to you now. My mom puts me off. I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm on the porch talking to my neighbor about Jesus. In the words of my stepfather, the most changed woman I've ever seen. Because that's what happens when you understand that God loves you and you respond, thank you. There's only one thing left for me to do, and that's to make you king of my life and to dethrone myself. And I'll say anything, do anything, go anywhere. What do you want? That's why some of you are bored in your relationship with Jesus because you just play church. But if you ever got to the place where you surrendered to Jesus Christ because of his great love, because he loved you first, you wouldn't, you, you know what God will give you? You like, you have to totally quit thinking about you and give your whole life to God and he gets to control every part of it. God will give you the life you never knew you always wanted. I'll say that again. God will give you the life you never knew you always wanted. Because you wanted about you, but he's going, you only find your life when you lose it. And if you hold on to it, you lose your life. My question to you is, where would you be? So obviously you came to church today. You knew something about Jesus. Maybe you're trying to find Jesus. But my question to you is, where would you be apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you have that discussion today? at your table, when you're with your kids or your grandkids, and I want to tell you something. You need to tell your story. Listen to me. If you know Christ as your Savior, one of the most important things you can do to start disciple-making in your family is tell your story. How many of you are born and raised in the church? Raise your hand. I want to see who you are. You've been churched your whole life. All right, look at me now. Look. I want to talk to you in specific. You will say, well, Bill, I don't have that great testimony like you. I didn't come from an alcoholic. I came from church-going people. I've been in church my whole life, and I just don't have a good testimony. Pause. That is a lie. That is a lie. Why is that a lie? Because it took no less blood to save two crazy ladies than it did the Sunday school kid who accepted Jesus. I think the devil has fooled you because the Bible says in Revelations 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And one of the greatest things you could ever do is tell the story. How many of you go back 
Your parents were, were Christians. Raise your hand. How many can go back to your grandparents? Raise them up. I want to see who you are. Grandparents are Christians. How many can go further than grandparents? Raise your hand. <sighs> you need to tell these stories. You get these grandparents in the next time you have a birthday party and you ask old grandpa or grandma, tell us your story about how you came to know the love of Jesus. And let them tell the story with your kids there. Because that's where disciple making begins. And they need to hear it started somewhere. You know why I love Jesus? Because I'm actually here with you today and not dead. And not in jail. I'm here with you today. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I have not gotten over it. It took no less blood to save you. Tell, look at me now, tell your story today. I was born and raised in the church, great-grandpa, great-great-great-grandma. I go all the way back here, and I am so thankful that the gospel has been a part of our life, and it has saved my soul from much heartache. Right? I mean, think about this. Oh, man, I wish I was a cracked addict. No, you don't. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's kind of what you're saying, right? No. Oh, my goodness. You know, in this story, I love Jesus. I love my mom becoming a Christian. You know who I love the most? Jerry. I was with her last month because I go to their church whenever they need someone to fill in. These are my girls. Jerry never had an evangelism class. She received the love of God, and guess what she wanted to do? Share it. Nobody told her she had to. Nobody pumped her up at a service to go do it. Just Jesus came in, and all of a sudden, you want to tell somebody. Friends, look at me now. This is what God wants us to be passionate about. Did you notice that everything in life will pull you off this? I'm going to say it again. Everything in life will pull you off this, right? You'll go out here and you'll get the life sucked out of you, right? So how can we keep coming back to the simplicity of loving God because he first loved us, letting that fill our soul and overflowing it to everybody around us? This is, very, this is the most important thing I'm going to do with you right now. Everybody came in. You got a disciple maker's prayer card, grab that. I would like you to put that slide up right now. You'll notice on this card, under the title, there are seven passages of scripture. I wanna tell you why. This prayer comes out of those seven passages of scripture. God loves it when we pray scripture back to him. It's almost guaranteed to be heard because <laughs> it's not your thing. It's God's thing. He loves it when we pray scripture back to him. So I'm giving you, now watch, if disciple making starts in the home, and I need all the kids to listen too, because your parents may sit in this service and then be tempted to not do this when you get home. So I want every kid to bug their parents continuously until they give in and you pray this prayer and do a Bible study together. I don't have any other tools other than prayer and Bible study. How's that? I don't know why we're looking for something else. That's enough. I challenge you 
to pray this prayer. Let me tell you why. Look what it says. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. You know who had a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus? Jerry. And I can think of a bunch of other people in my life. Look what it says next. It says, as I go through every part of this day, this isn't just a church Sunday thing. It's family life. It's every day. As I go through every part of this day, here's my goals, God. Help me to love you and then let that love fill my soul so that I can love others that I work with, my neighbors. But look what it says, starting with my family. Starting with my family. Look what it says, don't let me miss the adventures. I think every day is a missions trip when you know Jesus. Don't let me miss the adventures that you're sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus. You go out there and you love God and love people, I guarantee you somewhere in a relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus, you're going to get a chance to talk about the hope that lies within you with gentleness and respect. Don't let me miss those adventures. Now watch this. This is the biggie. Draw my heart to you, God. I want to be near you. I want to enjoy your presence, but I want my heart to be connected to yours. Draw my heart to you. Watch. And to specific people, you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. That's what it is. It's just friendships. It's eating dinner together. It's playing tennis, whatever your thing is. It's as you go. God, show me. And the first person it's going to be is your family. Your spouse. And it says, by your word and spirit, because none of this is self-help. It's all empowered by God's word and spirit. That's why every believer has the Holy Spirit. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, love people, and makes disciples. And you know what else? We help our next generations help other people love God and love people and make disciples. Can I tell you something? It's the only hope for this country and the world. It's not voting the right president in. It's not doing all the stuff that we think that we got to do. You know what it is? It's about you and I waking up on Monday, praying this prayer, and then going on mission. It's not about hiring a bunch of pastors. You can't hire enough pastors. Jerry's of the world. That's who we are. I challenge you. I dirty double dog dare you. I dare you to take this card and pray it every day together. Sending your kids off to school, pray it over them before they go out the car, before they go out to the bus. Pray that, I challenge you to pray this prayer so much that you can do it without looking. Then you, then you know you're ready. There are seven passages of scripture, one a day for the next seven days. One stinking passage of scripture. Read it and try to find it in the verse. It's a Bible study for your family. What would happen if you and your family decided you were gonna be passionate about loving a God who first loved you? And then you were gonna let that fill your souls and overflow to everybody. I'm telling you, it's the only hope. It's what it means to be a Jesus-like disciple maker. And it's not a program, it's a way of life. I want to invite you, I know we're going to close with a worship, but I want to invite you to stand right now. I think there, um, if you would like some more of these, I think we can pick some up on the way out. I'd be glad to do that. 
On the back of that card, by the way, are several ways that you can connect with me through social media. I would love to follow you on Twitter. I would love to be an Instagram friend of yours. I'd love to be, I don't do some other the social medias like um, all the ones the kids are doing. What's that called? Snap, I don't snap. No, I don't snap. But, um, but Facebook, whatever. I got, my, I got a blog on here that I think you'd be very encouraged about. In fact, today I'm releasing an audio on sexual purity on my blog at Cup of Joe with Bill. It's all back here. I just encourage you, stay in touch with me. I would love to be an encouragement to you to live this way of life. I know we're going to read words, but I want you to bring your heart to it. Can you bring your heart to it today? Can you just say, okay, I'm going to pray this with my soul. And I want to challenge you. Pray it until you memorize it together as a family. And I want to challenge you to do the seven-day Bible study with your family as well, starting today. I challenge you to do it over your lunch.